1 Corinthians. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God has and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. Because if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God and considers them foolishness, cannot understand them because they have discerned only through the Spirit. They are, they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject uh, to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so has to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Wow, there's a lot there. And you know, my, my objective in preaching and studying the Word of God is not to entertain you because there's no life change in that. And I'm not even here to motivate you or inspire you because that only lasts a, a very short time. But I really do want us to understand this, and I want to explain this to you, unpack for you what the Bible means, so you can go back to it as a point of reference with understanding. So my prayer every time I preach really is, as a minister, is to show you what it means, the Word of God, what it means. And if I'm doing it right, it won't be dry and boring and you'll stay awake. You know, you won't be snoozing off. It's not an excuse to take a nap. Because when the Spirit does His thing, I don't know about you, but my heart gets stirred up. It gets stirred up. And I, I almost want to start, you know, uh, sometimes I don't even want to finish the sentence because if the Spirit's leading, I want to get right behind Him. And I never understood why church wasn't a place you sit at the edge of your seats. You know what I'm saying? And... and and because the better you get to know the word of God, the better you get to know the God of the word. So I, I almost think that, you know, ushers, make sure everybody's belted in like we're at Maurice Pier for the great white bu belt. Up, buckle them in. Make sure they're all safe because we're on a ride here, right? And if after our time together today you want to ride this adventure again, and after you understand what these verses mean, for me that's exciting. Now, Paul, as you remember... Many problems existed in, in, in Corinth, and one of the major problems was the failure that as people became Christians, they wouldn't break with the philosophy of the day, the philosophy of the age, the philosophy that they grew up with. And so when they became Christians, rather than saying, Jesus, change me, they tried to drag everything they, they used to do into what they were doing now. And so they dragged they dragged their former life right into their present life, both in moral behavior and philosophically speaking. So literally, there was very little life change in the church in Corinth. Very little. 
you would not feel you were any, uh, you know, if, if you had went to a Corinthian theater at a Corinthian church, you probably would say, man, they're a lot alike, because there was very little difference. And so, and so one of the problems that was existing was the fact that these people, before they became Christians, you know, they, remember how they aligned themselves to, ah, we're of Apollos, we're of uh, Peter, we're, well, they like to, they like to pronounce who they were following in, in the day. You know, it would be like us to say, you know, I'm a CNN guy or I'm a Fox News guy. It would be like, oh, I love Glenn Beck. Oh, I don't like Glenn Beck. I like so-and-so. You understand what I'm saying? That's what they were doing. And they were aligning themselves to these, 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 these voices of the day. And the problem was is that they, they didn't put Jesus as the definitive voice. Many times, if they didn't like what Jesus said, they would live by the local philosopher said. And so they dragged all that mumbo-jumbo right into their faith with them. And see, our example for Christianity needs to be who? Come on. Not even a preacher, not even a Bible teacher. Who? Our example for Christianity should be Jesus. Not somebody I follow online who follows Jesus. And, you know, I just did a little homework this week. Recently, another well-known Christian artist made it known on their website that hell no longer works for them. That's their words. Hell no longer works for them, and they would not subject people to that anymore. A model was asked if her faith in Jesus now would mean that she would no longer be in men's magazines. To which she replied, I don't think so. There are many in my church who are in the same magazines I'm in. Uh, if, if I'm going to do something because my favorite Christian athlete does it, but Jesus hasn't authorized it, then that's not right. Because it doesn't matter what your favorite Christian artist or athlete promotes. It's what Jesus has authorized. You know what I'm saying? Now there's some, you talk about music. This, this past month, there are some really good gospel music out there and on, the, you know, on the normal charts. Harry Connick Jr. has put out a, a powerful gospel album. Carrie Underwood has put out a gospel album of all hymns. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, so, so, but what I listen to and what I plan to live by can't be the same thing because I'm not following Harry Connick's philosophy or Carrie Underwood's philosophy. I'm following what? Jesus, right? And in Corinth, you heard more of the commentary you would hear on the local news or the what do you call those entertainment shows, you know what I'm saying? Like Entertainment Tonight, those type of shows, than what was written in the scriptures. And this confusion was coming from the pulpit regularly, and it made for very immature believers who weren't growing up. So where is your faith getting its source of headlines from? That's just a question I want to ask you tonight. Where do you go for your headlines? And it should be the Bible, right? I'm not even, I mean, even Christian broadcasting networks shouldn't be your go-to place. It should be what? The, the word of God should be my run-to place. So this is why Paul, he writes this lengthy section that began in chapter 1, verse 18, and it's going to follow through chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. Telling them, basically in our, if we would use our lingo today, turn your TVs off, turn the radios off, you know, stop looking to Google. Google is not God, right? Well, if Google says it, it must be true, right? No. Google and, 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 and get to where you need to be, which is faith in Jesus and things that would honor Jesus. And the purpose of this section that we're looking at tonight is to continue 
Paul's argument against who are you running to for your belief system. We all have a belief system. Well, who fuels your belief system? Now, I just want to add a thought here because I, I don't want you to misconstrue this because I'm not saying that, that, that people who don't know Jesus can't provide good things. You know, like, like I'm saying that people who don't know Jesus and, and things that, that are not, see, either you're going to mean to glorify Jesus or the only alternative is to what? Glorify yourself. And we know that the world system, 1 John 2.16, tells us that everything in the world system contradicts God. 1 John 2.16 says, for everything in the world, the world system, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world system. But that doesn't mean that Christians have a monopoly on talent and knowledge. You know, what do I mean by that? I, I, I couldn't fix an appliance if I tried. You say, well, just follow it on YouTube. Ain't gonna happen. And somebody gives me the name of a good, you know, a good guy who can fix it, right? A good, a good uh, uh, somebody who can come in and get it done. At this point, I'm not really concerned that he's a Christian. You know, I, I'm concerned that he knows what? What he's doing. When this church building was being put together, we got burned by people who said they were what? Christians, but they weren't very good at their, their craft. Does that make sense? And so this is just a word to us Christians. Uh, you're not just carrying your reputation on the line. You're also carrying... Uh, you're carrying Jesus. And so, and so you know, I, I believe that, that, that not all art comes from Christians. Not all good stuff. People sometimes say, well, if it's Christian music, it's all good. Are you kidding me? It's, it's not. There's, there's a lot of songs that are not very good. And they may have been a Christian artist writing them, but that doesn't mean that it's a good... You grab what I'm saying here. And that's not what Paul's saying here. Paul's not saying you can only drink milk from Christian cows. You can, you can only wear clothes made by, you know what I'm saying, Christian... Uh, manufacturers, you can only drive cars that were put together. That, that, you know, just because it's made by a Christian doesn't make it good. But when it comes to matters that affect your forever, right and wrong, here and now, what then I don't want to go to Mark Twain. And I need somebody, I'm not going to miss heaven because I, 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 I read a lot of Victor Hugo. You understand what I'm saying? Or Sigmund Freud. Or William Shakespeare. When it comes to defining and understanding where we came from, why are we here, where are we going, when it tries to define God, when it tries to define morality, when it tries to define real joy, peace, happiness, I need to make sure that what I build my life upon has eternal roots. And all good gifts come from God. And there are many non-believers who are beyond talented. I might go to, I'm, if I want to learn how to pitch, I might ask Jacob deGrom of the Mets. But if I want to learn how to follow Jesus, I, before I even go to my pastor, before I even go, I'm going to the scriptures. You see what I'm saying? Because Paul's saying to the Corinthians, you are putting more creed into others than you are into the Lord. And where it's right, it's only right because it agrees with Scripture. 
So if it doesn't agree with God, you don't need it. It's junk. Where it's wrong, you don't need it. And Paul illustrates this by the fact that he doesn't believe in the necessity that he has to get the approval of good housekeeping for his preaching. Look what he says. He says, again, we, we studied this last week in 1 Corinthians 2. In verse 1 he says, When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. In verse 4 he said, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Why? Because verse 5, so that your faith may not rest on human knowledge, but on God's power. So Paul makes no apology by saying, you know what, I'm coming to you with Jesus. Jesus is going, he's going to be the, the main subject of my sentences. You know what I'm saying? He said in verse 2 of, of, of chapter 2, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And contrary to even today's popular church growth tactics, the gospel doesn't, you know what, if, if you only came here and I shared the gospel with you, then that's a good thing. But if you came here and I fed you and we entertained you and we didn't share the gospel with you, that's not a good thing. Are you, are you, are you catching what I'm saying? I even challenged the staff recently. You know, every relationship we have, there needs to come to the point where you give them the invitation. If we never get to the point where people might come and might be a part of things, but we never invite them into a relationship with Jesus, then we've wasted, what? Our opportunity. And we've kind of, and that's what Paul is saying here. The preacher comes along in Corinth, like Paul did, and he presents something so simple. And, and, you know, and this is a town that, you know, knew, used big words, and they love to pump their brains up. And, and, and here comes Paul and saying, it's simple, it's about Jesus. If you ever want to be, to be humbled again, that it's not so much you, read Peter's sermon in Acts. When was the last time you saw 3,000 people come to Jesus after you preached the message? The sermon is so simple. It's, it, it, is, it doesn't have cute stories. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have PowerPoint. It doesn't, it's so simple. It's as simple as it gets. But it cuts to the heart because the gospel is simply this. You and I need Jesus. We need him every single moment because we cannot be righteous. We can't be holy. We can't do good without God. And God provided the way that if, if left on our own, it would have separated us from him forever. He provides the way to make a way that we can have a relationship. And Peter says, who wants this? 3,000 people come to Jesus that day. Another key thing is that we know on that day, Peter was full of the Spirit. More Spirit, less stuff, right? And, and the Bible tells us that the crowds believed. And even though the New Testament says, you know, to the unbeliever, the preaching of the cross was foolishness. There are many who said, this is stupid, this is nonsense. You expect us intellectuals to, to check our brains at the door? You mean, you expect us to believe that somewhere, sometime, one guy dies on a cross and that's the whole crux of human destiny? And I've heard people say, you expect me to believe that? And you know what I say? Absolutely. Because as I shared earlier, the gospel is not philosophy. 
It's history. And historically, Jesus is still alive because there is no body. You can go to places where there's bodies of all those great leaders of the past. You go to the tomb of Jesus and it's what? Come on. It's empty. And because he lives, you know, and I have people say, you, it's for little old ladies. It's for little kids. What, do you still need a crutch? I say, absolutely I need a crutch. And Paul comes along, and, and when you come along and say, now nah, we don't preach human wisdom, they say, yes, yeah, sure, right. What are we going to do, sit here and listen to your foolishness? But look at verse 6. Oh, that's good. Look closely at verse 6. We do, however, they're saying, you've got nonsense. He says, no, we're preaching Jesus. But in Jesus, we speak a message of, what's it say? Wisdom. It may not be the world's wisdom, and you may think it's foolish, and you may say it's simple, but we are speaking God's wisdom, and God's wisdom has a different depth than human wisdom. Paul's not going, Paul's appeal to the cross is, is, is an appeal that, that goes to the heart rather to the head, and we'll get to that in a moment. And his reliance on the spirit rather than the rhetoric didn't go over well with most people in Corinth. But the dividing line began to be drawn. And you see it in Matthew 13. Because you'll never see the Lord if you're too busy looking at yourself. To see God, we've got to be humble enough to realize, Lord, look at those who came to the Lord. There's nothing I can do. There's not, I, I've tried everything. Now only say the word and I, I will be healed. Or, Lord, I believe, but there's a lot of unbelief in me, so Lord, help. You, you see, those are the people that see God. Not the people that come in saying, well, I know it all. Know it all is all it knows. <laughs> and, and, and we're starting to see that there is not just the, the knowledge itself that needs to be known, it's the person of the Holy Spirit that we need to know that will reveal the knowledge that we can't understand by just sitting in a classroom or, or, or even this sanctuary today. It's a knowledge that's revealed to us when we allow the Holy Spirit to what? Open our eyes. You know, Paul boldly goes up and says the gospel is, is, is not meaningless. It's not gobbledygook, you know, concocted by God simply to trip of those who can't make a blind. I don't think the gospel is a blind leap of faith at all. But it's almost like an iceberg. You know, you know that the iceberg, you see an iceberg above the water and you really have no idea it's what? It's how far and wide it goes, right? And, and, and I really believe with all my heart that, that some people who come to, to, to the Bible, they don't understand that there's a whole lot of depth that they write off much too quickly. And that's why they, they, they go right into the iceberg thinking they can conquer it, and like the Titanic, they sink. Paul tackles this conflict between faith and reason by showing them that, that there's a wisdom in the hidden depths of God that only can be revealed if you know the Lord. The wisdom spoken of in this verse is not fact-finding. It's not common sense. It's not something you could read in a book. But it's insight that comes 
with discernment. You know some people that have great knowledge but little discernment. They're very smart, but they have little, they don't really know how to use their smarts. Just because somebody has a high IQ doesn't make them somebody who can work well with people. You understand what I'm saying by that? Sometimes common sense isn't as common as we used to think it was. But Paul's saying here is that you guys are all spouting out the fact that you're so excited about these earthly things, and I'm here to tell you, you have no idea what God has in store. And Paul calls it God's wisdom. And you can see it in 1 Corinthians 2, 7, 11, 14, and 16. He calls it God's wisdom. He says the thoughts of God. He says the things of the Spirit and the mind of Christ. And only the mature in Jesus can, can receive this wisdom, which should give spiritual babies the incentive to grow. I want to know you. I want to trust you. I don't want to just... I don't want to just eat baby food. I want, to, I want to have the deep things of the Lord. You read about that in Hebrews 5, 14 through 6, 1. I don't have time to go through that now. But let's get back to chapter 2. Paul dives even deeper into the need to understand that God has hidden wisdom for all of us. Uh, verses 7 through 9 explains why non-believers can only see the tip of the iceberg. Verse 7 says, no, we declare God's wisdom. A mystery that has been what? Hidden. And that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, because if they really understood it, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things that God prepared for those who love him. See, somebody in Christ goes, whoa, this sounds good. Somebody, somebody who doesn't know the Lord yet says, what's this nonsense? The wisdom of the gospel is a mystery. You guys like mysteries? Yeah, do you like mysteries? Like a good, you know, growing up, I remember, uh, I know I'm older, but Channel 4, uh, NBC used to have the, the, the Sunday night movie mystery, and there was a rotating between Columbo and uh, McLeod, Dennis Weaver, who was Chester on Gunsmoke, and, uh, and, and who, McMillan and wife. I had a crush on Susan St. James. I did, sorry. And now today, I, I know the Hallmark Channel has the Hallmark Movies and Mystery Channel. The Greek word for mystery is mysterion, and it refers to something that once was hidden, but now is revealed. Previously hidden, it is now revealed. And it's revealed to those who open their hearts to the Spirit. Like a secret to be shared among a select few, God has made the mystery of the gospel crystal clear to those who humbly come and say, Lord, I want to know you. But the gospel remains obscure to those who have chosen their own IQ over admitting that maybe God knows a whole lot more than I do. See, God goes even deeper than what we could even Imagine, Paul goes even deeper when he describes that the hidden wisdom that God destined for our glory before time began. Paul uses the same imagery in Ephesians 1.4. When Ephesians 1.4, when, when he says, God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So the gospel of the, you know, 
Although the gospel of the incarnation and the death and the resurrection of the Son of God came in a surprising way, God, it wasn't a last, you know, it didn't say, God didn't say, okay, what should we do next week? It was a plan from all eternity. It was always planned that way. God had intended it long before time began. Long before Lucifer ever came on the scene. Long before Adam and Eve ever, you know, uh, ate, ate and disobeyed. God had already had a plan for us to what? Be redeemed. And the wisdom of the gospel cannot be understood without the Holy Spirit. So the mystery of the gospel can only be clear to those who have the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.8 None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they wouldn't have been insecure or jealous of Jesus. They would have worshipped him. Instead, they crucified him. And the, group, the Greek word for know there, or understand, if they had understood it, is a, is, a, is a word that's used many times in Scripture. And if you want to know why we say personal relationship with Jesus, it comes from this word, gnosko. Because gnosko means that you have a personal relationship with what you claim to know. Like somebody can say, you know, I know that person, but if that person says, who are you? Like Jesus, you know, who are you? Then you really don't know them. Knowing about somebody is not the same as what? Knowing them. Knowing about carpentry is not the same as the, the, the fact that you can put something together. Knowing about, you see what I'm saying? And, and what God is, is trying to tell us here is knowing about me is not enough compared to what? Having a relationship with me. So, so this Greek word literally calls us into, into something deeper. 2 Corinthians 4 and this is why we need the Holy Spirit. Because we're saved by grace, through faith, and that not of ourselves, right? Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. It says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Because the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Jesus, who is the image of God. They're not blinded by the light. They're blinded to the light. Blinded to the light. And, you know, Paul's getting right. I love Paul because he, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't tiptoe around. He's getting right to it. And, 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 and remember, he's talking to people who literally were part of the crucifixion. I mean, this isn't years and hundreds of years later. He's got listeners within his realm both Roman and Jewish, who actually executed Jesus. And he said, if you, if you were really smart, now that's kind of you know, gutsy to talk to the people that actually did it and said, if you, if you really had a brain, you wouldn't have done that. <laughs> if you had the spirit, you wouldn't have done that. Because if you had the spirit, you wouldn't have crucified. And now you know why they wanted to kill Paul. And even though the spiritual ignorance of the unbelieving political powers, God still brought to light what, what they thought was a bad thing. And this is so often, isn't it? What you thought was meant to do you in actually reveals to you the, the, the Lord. I'm learning. I'm seeing God in this cancer journey. I'm seeing it. Does that mean I'm, I'm, I'm loving cancer? No, there are things about it that... But am I seeing God's presence in ways that I wouldn't have seen him? 
If I didn't have it, I have to say, uh, yes, I'm seeing him. I'm knowing him in ways that I would only know about him, but now I'm knowing him as I go through it. Does that make sense? God reveals to humanity what we would never discover on our own if we were in control of our own lives. But revealing a mystery and discovering a mystery are two different things. God has revealed the mystery. It's only discovered to those who open up their hearts and say, I need you, Jesus. Our age, which many regard, of course, as the scientific age, right? And we're all, you know, if I, if I heard this a thousand times, well, I only go by science, which if I had time to, to, to tear that apart, I would. Because it basically goes down to this. I only believe what I see. And if I, can't, if I can't see it, I won't believe it, which of course is nonsense. It's the show me philosophy. But it's not new to our age. It was the same thing that was going on in Corinth. And that's why Paul actually quotes Isaiah. He quotes Isaiah 64.4 to them. And he says that the hidden mystery of the gospel is one of those things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard. And which not, you know, it hasn't yet entered the heart of man. But God is prepared for those who, come on, who love him. Gnosko, love him, relational with him. What God himself reveals in his own time, in his own way, cannot be discovered through what we would call science alone. That's why over and over, if you ever notice, when scripture gets to the part of salvation it always says believe in your heart not your mind it doesn't say believe with your mind and you will be saved it says believe in your heart and that's not emotional stuff here we're not talking emotional what we're talking about the heart is that there's a lot of stuff in your head but it doesn't become real to you until it gets to your what it gets to your heart you might know how many of you have sat through subjects in school. You might even gotten in an A, but it never made it to your heart. And there's other things which you've watched and seen. It not only hit your head, it got to your heart. That's why, that's why the Proverbs say uh, in Proverbs 4.24, above all else, guard your heart, because from it, all of life comes. So guard your heart. And what, what he's saying is here is that, you know what? Life cannot be understood just in your brain. As a matter of fact, if it's just understood in your brain, it gets pretty boring. Let me, let me give you a, a scientific, this is a scientific definition, okay? Purely science right now. The anatomical juxtaposition of two orbicularises oris muscles in a state of contraction. Anybody know what that is? It's a smooch. It's a kiss. How many of you, by just hearing that scientific definition, said, I'd like to try that? You get my point? By me sharing this empirical definition, doesn't make you even know what a kiss How do you know what a kiss is? Did, he, did anybody remember your first real kiss when the fireworks went off? And you, you know, I remember my first real kiss. My legs almost went out from under me. And there's ways about talking about truth, we can actually make it untrue. We're so technically accurate 
that we actually make it inaccurate. See, the gospel is not an image of duty and diagram and shame on God's people for reducing it to something that you can understand purely intellectually. The gospel is a love story. It's a thriller. It's a mystery. It's an epic adventure. We've got facts, but sometimes we lose the life of it all. Remember in biology when you got your frog and you were supposed to dissect the frog? I don't even know if they still do that. But remember we had to dissect the frog and after we were done, unless you knew it was a frog to begin with, how many of you could say, well, that's a frog because you had cut it to pieces so much that we, and sometimes I think we do that to Christianity. We cut it up and dissect it. We dissect the life right out of it. Read the Bible. God speaks to us in what? These are epic adventures. These are stories, and they're not edited for television. They don't, how do I say it? They don't clean up the hero. We see Moses as a hero with flaws. We see David as a hero with flaws. We see Noah as a hero with flaws. We see Paul and, and Peter as heroes with flaws. The only one who didn't have a flaw was our hero itself, Jesus. And, and if you want to know me, if I want to know you, I'm not going to, you know how people, and again, because I've been in the doctor's presence a lot, sometimes doctors walk in and they don't say, hey, tell me about yourself. What do they come in? They come in and they grab what? Come on. They grab the chart and they start reading it. And I, and I literally said, that's not going to tell you who I am. Because you're not a chart. You're not a number. You're not... If I want to know who you are, Ben, tell me, you know, tell me your stories. Tell me, you know, what makes you excited. What scares you half to death? See, that's how God wants it. God shares his story, and he invites us to share our story. And, and it's, it's, it's really, you know, once upon a time. It is. And we already know that in the end, we will all live happily ever after and if you let God write the story, and I'm willing by faith to live it, not just to read it, but to live it. It's one thing to read a script. It's another thing to live the script. Then we're going to know that that story that we grew up with, stories like Cinderella, that, that was not an original story. Cinderella getting rescued by the prince to come and live in the castle, that's the gospel. Jesus, the prince of peace. King of kings, the one who is going to come and rescue us. We're stuck in the dungeon. We're being mistreated by our stepsisters and our stepmother, and they're trying. And along comes, uh, uh, and, and the gospel says, boy, have I got a future for you. No eye has heard, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has can conceive what God has in store for you. And what do we think? Well, heaven's an eternal church service. I hope not. And I don't think it is. I think heaven is going to be life as it was always intended to be. When we start sharing that, I get hungry for more of the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Because if it's just facts and figures, we don't know Jesus. That's what Paul was saying to the Corinthians. You know facts and figures, but you've lost your imagination. If you ever had it in the first place. So, before we go to communion today, just for a moment... Will you allow God to open your eyes to what really happened when he saved you, when he rescued you? And will you imagine what God has in store for you? 
We all know this song that was written by Bart Millard called, I Can Only Imagine. When was the last time you imagined? Sometimes we get so stuck in the past and we get so bogged down by the present, we forget that we're dreaming about that someday my prince is going to come, that trumpet's going to sound, and either by trumpet or by my last breath, I'm being rescued forever. So before we go to the table, I just want you to use your imagination again. And just for a moment, say, God, remind me again to dream about what's in store. Let's look at this, and then we'll have communion.